Hello and welcome to the Boxing Insider, where this week we've got a very special show. Tyson Fury against Dillian White, and we're here at Wembley Stadium. Thirty-two times his biggest purse, and he wants more. Come on! It's a good job he never come, because him and his family and his entourage will look very stupid today, and they probably would have been a punch-up. I would be surprised if Fury hasn't got rid of him after five or six rounds. We're here at Wembley, where this huge fight between Tyson Fury and Dillian White will take place on the 23rd of April. A fight you'll be able to hear live and exclusive here on Talksport. And we've spoken to the Gypsy King. In fact, we spoke to him before anybody else at the press conference. Let's hear from him now. Absolutely ecstatic, can't believe it. Boys are back in town, four years in the making. I've been away on the road for four years in Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles, I've been all over the place. Um, and I'm glad to be back home in the capital city, big enough, uh, boxing at the biggest stadium in the country. So it's very, very, very um, exciting for me. Just what does that mean to you, fighting again in the UK at the National Stadium? It's been a long time since fans got to see you in person, fans here in the UK. For sure, you know, we had those great nights in Las Vegas. Um, a lot of fans turned out for that. Um, and you know what, it's down to me to come home and put on a big fight here in the UK and give all the fans that travelled abroad and all the fans that couldn't travel the opportunity to come and see me in the flesh and see the fight. Um, it's going to be an absolutely epic night. I've been told it's open to 103,000 people, which is the biggest gate attendance in British boxing history by far. Um, and it's going to be an electric night. I cannot wait. The Gypsy King returns home to the throne um, and, and a defence against an all-British showdown. Cannot wait. When it comes to Dillian White and this fight, we're really pleased it has been made. Anthony Joshua was suggesting that he's willing Dillian on in this fight. Has yeah. that surprised you? No, it doesn't surprise me because they're both beaten fighters. They've both lost a couple of times and I'm the only undefeated one left on these shores. And I suppose they would want me to be like them, beaten, but it's not happening. So that's, that's why I can see them clubbing together. All of them will be clubbing together because they want to see me lose the fight. But that ain't happening because the big GK don't do losing. What do you think happens next with Anthony Joshua? I have no interest and no, no real concern. It's not my career and not my job to be worried about that sort of stuff. Let's talk about today. We're here at the press conference. As far as I can tell, no Dillian White so far. No yep. word from Dillian White since his fight was made. Yep. What have you made of that? I haven't really made a lot to it. Dillian White, he doesn't have a lot to say in his career anyway. He's a bad talker. So even if he was here, he wouldn't be doing much talking anyway. He's like. No one really cares or listens to what he has to say at all. It's really unimportant and irrelevant. But people are here to see me. They're here to see the show. That is the Gypsy King and it rolls on to Wembley. So whether Dylan White wants to attend these events or not is not really my concern because I can, I can do my media commitments gladly. Many as they want, not a problem. Well, we're really glad to hear that, Tyson. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and when it comes to this 80-20 split, yeah. I mean, what do you make of that? Because Dillian seems very unhappy. But well, I guess I'm, not, you're thinking... I'm not sure, you know. Um, very greedy, it sounds, again. He's getting, he's getting his highest payday, over $8 million. Um, last purse was 250 grand. So, you know, I don't know what that is. How much is that more? How many times more is that? How many 250 grand can you fit in 8 million? Quick maths, come on, snappy. Come on, you went to 16, school, I didn't. 16, no, 32, 32. 32 times out there. his biggest purse. 32 times his biggest purse and he wants more. Come on, the man who's won the British heavyweight title is his biggest title he's ever won and he wants more money. Have a rest, have a day off, will you? Not only is Dylan getting his biggest payday, I'm getting my biggest payday as well, so 
fantastic stuff from from frank warren and bt sport they um they, they give me a lot of money for this fight and i'm really really happy and you know i'm here to put on a show i'm here to entertain and that's what we do we uh, we get down we throw down and we give everything uh the fans are going to see a really good fight on the night and i cannot wait to punch his face in so what has dillian white been saying well dillian white hasn't said much in the build-up and he didn't even attend today's press conference, deciding to stay in Portugal. Fortunately for us, we did get the take of a number of different pundits in attendance. And we got their thoughts on White's absence. I didn't think he was going to come because I don't think he fancies coming. Uh, he asked us some ridiculous demands and so forth. I mean, at one stage, well, not a couple of days ago, that we can't even use his image on a poster. I mean, what is that all about? We're paying him $8 million, plus he's got a $4 million upside if he wins. It's outrageous. But... It is what it is, and we get on with it. As long as he's there on the night, that's all that matters. It'll be a good fight. One thing I won't take away from him is his boxing ability. You know, he will come, he will come to fight. He's a warrior, but the rest of it leaves a lot to be desired. It's, it's unprofessional. It's not the industry norm. I've never, ever been involved, nor ever seen a big fight of this nature, or for that matter, any fight, where the, the challenger or one of the top, you know, the two guys, one of them doesn't show up. I've never heard of it. Can you understand it at all? Because, yes, he's frustrated about the 80-20 split, but then when you look at the amount of money he's going to earn for this fight and the amount of money he's going to earn if he wins the fight, it'll be enormous compared to what he's earned before. Well, I didn't determine the 80-20 split. That was done by the WBC, and that was done because his previous purses were lodged with the WBC. The highest he's ever been paid, according to what he lodged, was 500 grand. The last one was three, and Pat Tyson's last fight was 20 million. So who's an attraction and who's not? That's the bottom line of it, and that's how they determine what the bid is. You know, irrespective of that, you know, Usyk got 20% when he came and fought Joshua. He showed up at the press conference, and like a fighting man he is, won the fight, and now he's in the big time. In the big time. And he had some, some, some serious pedigree with him, being coming up from the cruiserweight division. Tyson, when he went and fought Klitschko in Germany, he, went, he got eight times less than what he's getting, uh, uh, Dillian, for the world title. Um, Joshua, when he fought against uh, Charles Martin, he got less than Dillian got, but he won the title, and then that's what happens. You know, you go out there, you, get, you, you go out there, you go and fight to, to win. Same with you know when Tyson went to the states to fight um, uh, Wilder, he, he took the short end of the stick. That's what happens. You know, you go out there, you've got belief, do it. Ruiz took the short end of the stick. Second fight against Joshua, done well. That's what fighting men do, and I don't get any of this stuff. They don't want to have a meltdown in front of Tyson, do they? Because they know Tyson is the king of the ring, but he's also the king of head games, and he's just not intelligent enough to deal with Tyson. And he, it's a good job he never come, because him and his family and his entourage will look very stupid today, and they probably would have been a punch-up. You know what I'm saying? Because we come prepared, you know, we're all Spartans, warriors, I'm an old man, I'm not my son, never was, never will be, but I'll have an old scrap. These people talk the walk, but they don't want to walk the walk. We will talk the talk and walk the walk. Win, lose, a draw. And I think that's what they didn't want here today. You know, we come in force, we've got a good little crew here with us. We wasn't bothered about having a scrap. But that's by and by. That's the small talk of it. But the main thing is he couldn't deal with Tyson's brain power. That was what it was. Disappointed is not the word. I mean, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by a man who's been trying to get a world championship fight for four years. He gets it, he's being paid £6 million, and yet he didn't turn up at the press conference. He's not 
cooperating with the promoter is unprecedented, unheard of, and dear old Muhammad Ali must be spinning in his grave. Now, anybody fighting for the heavyweight championship in the world is shy. I think it's if it's tactics or whether it's him staying in uh, Portugal to train or focus on his camp or whether he just doesn't want to get involved in the verbal um, side of things, I'm not quite sure. I think it would have been nice for him to be here. I think that's what everyone expected, you know, the, the, the media, the team, but um, it is what it is. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's about money, isn't it? And it's wrong in my view. Um, I wish there was a way of fining people for not turning up to things like this. Um, I think it's unprofessional. Dillian White will have his own reasons when he gets to fight week to tell us why. Um, I'm sure it's not what he wants to do. I'm sure he didn't want to avoid Tyson Fury. It's an opportunity to stoke the fire eight, nine weeks out before the fight, James. So it doesn't make any sense at all. You know, and I've been kind of trying to trawl the archives to see if this has happened before. And it's just not normal. Were you as a team expecting him to come today or, or did you always know in your heart of hearts that, that he probably wouldn't be turning up? Yeah, no, definitely. We all turned out in force. Um, took a full carriage on the train, expecting it to go off today. But um, obviously it's a no-show. You know, and that's up to him. Like like Tyson said on the stage, you know, it's just it's um, it's doing himself an injustice because when we look back in time at this, you know, mammoth event, there's going to be no pictures of Dillian White. There's going to be nothing of Dillian White, and it's going to be his own fault for not turning up to events like this. So we now know that Tyson Fury will be taking on Dillian White on the 23rd of April here at Wembley Stadium. But how do we get to this point? There's been plenty of obstacles to navigate along the way. The man who won the purse bids and the right to stage this fight is promoter Frank Warren. Talk us through how we got to this fight between White and Fury because it felt for a while like it may be a different opponent. It looked like it may be Usyk at one point, but we're here now. So take us through the steps since that Wilder fight. Well, he was originally Tyson back in early December. He's only had one fight in two years. So back in early December, we were going to put him in, do a, give him a fight uh, in, fe in February, but obviously the board shut everything down for COVID. In between that, the WBC uh, then said that Dillian White would be their mandatory challenger after he'd been moaning and bleating, was it 100, uh, 1,200 days, got his opportunity. He then, then said to all the promoters concerned that you've got a period of time to negotiate the terms of the fight. Couldn't agree the terms, so then they put it out to Persbiz. They determined the 80-20 split based off of their previous purses I've just mentioned. We've won the Persbiz. Um, we've complied with the terms of the Persbiz, put a four million in uh, deposit, um, gave them the date and venue, and we had 21 days to put the boxers' purses in. Uh, sorry, um, contracts in. Titans went straight in, and the other now uh, we got Dillian White signed. Um, and that's it. So he's, 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 you know, he's for what he's doing is just ridiculous. He's supposed to be helping to promote the show. That's how he gets paid. That's where the money comes from. We don't just pull it up from nowhere. You know, we've got to make this work now. And he's just, uh, it's just dreadful that he's doing this. I don't know whether it's him or the people behind him or what, but it is what it is and we move on. Thankfully, we've got a fighter who can carry the whole thing on his big, broad shoulders because he's such a mag mega, mega personality. Have you got any concerns about the fight at all in terms of whether Dillian White will turn up for the press conference for the main event, the weigh-in, I mean... Well, we don't weigh in, you don't fight. You weigh in, you don't fight. Are you confident this fight will happen, though? I'm confident it'll happen. I mean, you know, he was, I mean, some of the demands they've asked him, the money they was asking for, to be paid to them for some reason. We've got to give them money up front. Why? When was that? Where's that ever been in a purse bid? 
that's why we that's why you have a negotiation period. You couldn't agree terms. You was being smart ass, you say you went for the first bid. Your promoter put in a bid nearly ten million less than we did. Had he had one had we not bid, you'd be getting two million less. There's an upside for you fighting on a Queensbury show. We know that Tyson Fury is a massive favourite for this fight on the 23rd of April. Here at Wembley Stadium, how's it going to play out? Does Dillian White stand any chance? He's just going to play with him. Just like a cat to play with a ball or will he play with him. And when he thinks he's had enough of the games, he'll knock him out. Tyson can knock him out anytime he wants. You know, to be honest with you. I don't think, to be honest and truthful with you, he's a good kid. You know, he's done this and done that, but he's not boxed the people Tyson's box. He's not had the world experience at the top level, as what Tyson has. Tyson's just too good in all departments. He'll come swinging and blaring. When he runs out of ideas, he'll get sick of himself and that'll be it. I see him quitting on the stool, tell you the truth. He's not going to want to be carried out. He'll quit on the stool. My arm's gone. It's happened before, isn't it? I think there's going to be a knockout, and I think it's going to happen before round six. In Tyson's favour? In Tyson's favour, yeah. Why do you feel so strongly about that? Um, you know, I've trained alongside him. I've seen, uh, you know, physically and mentally how he is in a, in a, you know, in the gym and what he does. And I just feel he's going to have too much. This fight will go whichever way Tyson wants it to go because the golfing class here is just, it's completely different. Um, you've got one man who's going down as an all-time legend, and another man who's just a mandatory. That's all Dillian White is in the opposite corner. You know, he's here. He's come to collect his few quid, take a beating, and that's it. You know, after this fight, you won't be hearing much of Dillian White ever again. I'd be surprised if he boxes again after this. Well, it's an old cliche, White has got a puncher's chance, but he's not in, I'm afraid he's not in Fury's league. I would be surprised if Fury hasn't got rid of him after five or six rounds. Yeah, great fight, you know, I'm expecting Dylan White to come in angry, aggressive and hungry. He's got a lot to prove on, on the world's biggest stage, so if he can do it, now's his time to deliver. I'm all, I'm all ready for, the, for a war, a 12-round war or a one-round demolition. Either way, he's getting... I wanted deep. to ask you, uh, what is your approach going to be to the fight? Because when you look at the victories you had in the past, they've all come in completely different manners. Yeah. What approach are you taking into this one, though? I'm taking into the same approach as I've done for the last so many fights. Um, knockout, heavyweights, cronk style, sugar hill baby, you know, that's what we do. We don't, after the, the boxing decisions of late, um, we're not looking to do any points things or anything like that because we know that our destiny in life can be changed with one uh, one wrong decision and that's what I'm not about. I'm here to just take, take it away from anybody's hands. My destiny is holding in my own hands, and I've always said it. We hold our own destiny in the two hands that we have. Um, and, and it's going to be a really good fight, you know. If Mr White comes in ready to rock and roll, and the, the fans are in for a real treat, because I'm on the front foot and I'm banging. So a brilliant day here at the press conference for Tyson Fury against Dillian White. The Gypsy King on brilliant form when he spoke to him earlier, before anybody else did. Dillian White, a real shame he couldn't attend. It would have been great to get his thoughts. His silence has gone on for far too long and we understand he wants more money to take part in these promotional events and sell the fight. He's earning $8 million. He should have been here to promote this fight. The biggest fight, the biggest payday of his career. The good news is this stadium will be jam-packed. 100,000 fans here at Wembley on the 23rd of April, live on TalkSport. Dillian White looking to cause an upset, but by the sounds of things, Tyson Fury is ready to put out yet another statement the heavyweight division. Don't forget to check out our interviews in full from today's press conference here at Wembley and like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our content from across the TalkSport network.
Delighted to be joined by Richard Reactpool, head of another big night in your career next Saturday, Richard. How are you feeling? A change in opponent, but I guess the ambition remains the same for you this year. Yeah, that's the thing about boxing, you know, these things, we can't predict them. And we just have to be ready for all different types of uh, scenarios. You know, this has happened over and over again throughout history. And it just shows um, the calibre of fire, you know, when he takes the challenges. I want to challenge myself and that's why I came into the game. I actually believe I'm the best, so I'm going to take, take my, I fancy my chances. Is this potentially a tougher test for you? A, a late change in opponent, a domestic rivalry as well. So it's got all the ingredients for, yeah. for a good night next Saturday. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, he's undefeated. He's a southpaw. He's he's wanted to um, he wa he's wanted to the opportunities for a while, and now he's finally got got his opportunities. So, you know, it makes all of the ingredients. And I have world title ambi ambitions, and he wants to put that to a halt. He wants to throw a span in my works, but I can't let him take anything that I've uh, I've worked hard for. So, you had a long layoff, yeah, and you've had two wins since then. Yeah. How do you feel about the development and the journey that you're on at the moment after what was a quite a serious injury and a serious yeah. time away from the ring? I think it's been great. You know, we've we've come back in October. I had a fight back to back, you know, within seven weeks. Yeah, it's, it's been perfect, you know. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy opponents, you know, solid um, Polish guys never been stopped, never been put down. Um, and then onto Durodola, somebody that's um, a veteran a, a veteran with a KO record of uh, phase six and phase three, phase three knockouts out of phase six wins. You know, a lot of people would never, ever take that fight, honestly. And we got through in great fas fashion. So it just shows, you know, what type of caliber of fighter I am. Do you think world title ambitions, do you think that could be this year potentially? Yeah, of course, of course. Any, see the thing in boxing, anything is possible. It's just opportunities come out, uh, out of nowhere. It's just like Dion got his opportunity now. So... I'm focused on what I need to do and um, my eyes are peeled because any opportunities we're taking, we're snapping up straight away. Tell me about how much you've learned and how much you've enjoyed working with Angel Fernandez. There's been a lot of talk about him for obvious reasons in recent weeks. You made the decision to leave Mark Tibbs and work with Angel. Why did you do that and how have you benefited so far? Yeah, I've done that because I just had an opportunity to train up in Loughborough, in the Loughborough Boxing Centre. Um, I wanted to work on my conditioning and and it just made made a lot of sense. I was moving, and I, and I spoke to Mark, you know, and we we have a great relationship. At the same time, it was a shame that I had to leave him, and Angel was there, so it just made a lot of sense. Instead of me just going there and coming back, travelling, it was going to be very difficult. But since we've since then we've we've gelled really well. We worked on technique, and everybody has said my style has improved exponentially. So we're just going to carry on, continue doing what we're doing. Tell me about Angel as a coach. Angel is very meticulous. He's um, unorthodox in comparison to the to the other British coaches, and he's very, very ambitious, um, obsessed, bit of uh, obsessive about about the sport. And he's always watching boxing. He's always studying it, seeing what he can add. Um, he has no ego, no pride. So anybody can come and and work with us and add to us. He doesn't feel no way about that. I think he believes it's a win-win. And he's kind of influenced me to watch a lot more boxing, to study my craft, take it more seriously. Because to be honest, on, until uh, probably about two fights ago, I, was, I, or I never used to watch boxing. You know, I just watch a few fights, but that's it. You know, a bit weird, you know, when this is your profession, but it just shows that you need the, the right people around you, you know. And finally, big fight next month involving your old friend, Dillian White, who I know you're still, still close with now. Mm -hmm. 
What do you make of his chances against Tyson Fury? It's going to be a huge opportunity for him. He's not said too much in the build-up, so we don't know what frame of mind he's in. But, but do you give him a chance? Absolutely, absolutely. He's got a chance. Um, he's um, a proper ruffian. That's how I like to describe him. And um, he's got a strong mind. So that's that's all of a that's that's a big threat alone, you know. So Tyson Fury, of course, he's the, he's a boxing wizard, yeah, but. You know, you can't count Dillian out, you know, he's got some solid body shots and he will come in and not care about getting knocked out getting, or anything happening to him. He's just going to come to fight. I think that's what's going to happen on the night. So it's going to make for an amazing, amazing day, amazing fight. I was following Dylan White's career from very early on, long before he fought Anthony Joshua, way back before his two-year ban. A lot of people forget that Dylan White actually had a two-year ban. And when he came back from the two-year ban, he had a couple fights on matchroom cards, I think it was. In fact, he might have had one on a small hall show and then a couple on a matchroom card or one or two on a matchroom card and then the AJ fight. But before he went into the AJ fight, a lot of people hadn't seen Dylan White, uh, but the few who had were comparing him to Derek Chisora, which I always thought was strange. And then after the AJ fight, they continued co to compare him to Derek Chisora. They, they kept saying that he's the new Chisora and that his style is like Chisora. His style is nothing like Derek Chisora. It's never been anything like Derek Chisora. Dylan White is more of a boxer puncher. Yes, he's rough and he's tough and he's aggressive and so on, like Chisora is. But stylistically, Dylan White is more of a jab, counterpunch. You know, he'll lead off, of course you know, jabbing, counter-punching, using his angles, uh, that left hook, of course. He's more of a boxer than Chisora. Chisora is an out-and-out -out pressure fighter. Chisora has upper body movement, constant head movement when he's coming forward, tracks you down, gets you on the inside, and unleashes hell. That's not Dylan White. So here we have Tyson Fury saying the same thing. Now, Tyson Fury says a lot of stuff. He likes to be dismissive of his rivals and so on. And of course, he wants to make out as though this fight is going to be as easy as the Chisora fight, let's say the second Chisora fight. So Tyson Fury is saying that uh, Dylan White and Chisora have a very similar style, similar stature, similar weight, and so on. Well, stature and weight, yes, they're similar. So to directly quote Tyson Fury, he said, I think they're both pretty similar, to be fair. They had two good fights together. It was nip and tuck in the first fight. I actually thought Derek nicked the first fight by a few rounds. Second fight was going uh, Derek's way as well, and he obviously got chinned in about round 10 or 11. Very, very close competitive fight. So yeah, I think they're very similar in stature and in weight and style, and I've handled that style plenty before. So those are the words of the Gypsy King. Now, while I completely disagree that Dylan White's style is like Derek Chisora's, because it's nothing like it, what I will say is, in order for Dylan White to beat Tyson Fury, if Tyson Fury decides to keep it long, in order for Dylan White to beat him, yes, he's got a sticker jab on him. You know, you can jab with a jabber. They say don't hook with a hooker, but you can jab with a jabber. Uh, so yes, he's got to land a jab, but it's going to be difficult for him to get past Tyson Fury's long shots and uh, his, his counter punches because unlike Derek Chisora, Dylan White doesn't have great head movement on the front foot going forward. When Dylan White is stationary and he's trading shots with you on the inside or at mid-range, 
then yes, he moves his head quite well and he's quite uh, fluid with it. But when he's forced to come forward and actually pursue somebody, he doesn't have the Derek Chisora head movement, that Joel Frazier-esque head movement down pat. He doesn't have that. He's actually a more hittable target when he's coming at you. So again, while I disagree with Tyson Fury, I actually think that in this instance, it's a bad look for, for uh, Dylan White to not be more like Derek Chisora and, and have that kind of style if Tyson Fury decides to keep it long. Now, if Tyson Fury decides to stand and trade with Dylan White, then that plays into Dylan White's hands because Dylan White is a good body puncher. He's got a great left hook, as we know. He's a good counter puncher. He's got a good jab and he's physically strong. He has more ability on the back foot than someone like Derek Chisora. Uh, you know, like I say, better counter punch is more sneaky. And that left hook is a serious shot. Very serious. And it's a hair trigger left hook. If you watch early on in Dylan White's fights, he is so sharp with that hook. Dylan White is not a fast fighter, but that left hook is actually pretty fast, especially early on in the fight. And I remember the Joseph Parker fight in particular. Whenever Parker would throw a couple shots at Dylan White, White would block the shots and bang straight away the catch and counter with the left hook. Hair trigger shot. Tyson Fury's got to watch out for that. Definitely. In fact, you got Eddie Hearn here saying that if they trade left hooks or when they trade left hooks, White will put Fury to sleep. Well, I don't know whether he'll put Fury to sleep because Fury has proven that he's got very good powers of recovery. He's been down multiple times in his career, yes, but this guy gets up and this guy recovers very, very quick. And I do have to contrast it with other people, even Dylan White himself, who doesn't recover quite as quick as Tyson Fury does. He recovers fairly quick, let's be fair. He's, he's not like an AJ who tends to stay hurt for a long, long time. Dylan White does tend to recover quicker than someone like AJ, but not as quick as Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury recovers real, real quick, crazy quick from getting dropped heavy. So, look, anyone can be knocked out. Uh, I'm sure if Dylan White landed his absolute best shot possible, at the perfect moment against Tyson Fury, maybe he could knock him out and, you know, drop him and keep him down. But I'm not expecting that to happen in this fight. Uh, I think even if Dylan White does win, it's going to be scrappy and it's going to be difficult to get Tyson Fury out of there. Can you imagine someone stopping Tyson Fury? You'd really have to break him down. You know, you'd really have to be on top of him, hit him with, with all kinds of shots in order to get him out of there. Or you'd need to catch him on a day when he's not particularly motivated. I mean, when he got dropped by Wilder in the third fight, and he wasn't as up for that third fight. I know I've spoken about this in videos before where people fell for Tyson Fury's acting in the run-up to the third fight. They thought he was more up for it than ever. He actually wasn't. And his trainer, uh, Sugar Hill Stewart, has pretty much confirmed that since. I could tell just from his body language, he wasn't as up for the third fight as he was for the second fight. And when he get, got dropped in that third fight, there was a moment where he was on the canvas and it looked like he may not get up, not because he was particularly hurt, but he just looked disinterested. It was weird. You know, he took his time and it was like, is Fury actually going to get up or is he going to, it looks like he's found a comfy spot there on the canvas. And Tyson Fury is a very erratic character. You know, so you never know what he's thinking. You never know exactly where he's at mentally and emotionally. 
and he might do something crazy one day. He might do something unlikely, you know, where, where you're thinking, what, why is he not getting up? You know, why is he staying? Tyson Fury is capable of that, I think, uh, because mentally and emotionally, he's not always in the same place, you know? So anyway, <laughs> Tyson Fury saying that Dylan White fights like Derek Chisora, he doesn't. Dylan White could actually do with some of Derek Chisora's head movement going into this fight. Uh, but if Tyson Fury decides to take it to White, then he needs to be careful because that left hook is serious. Dylan White can handle himself much better on the inside than somebody like Deontay Wilder, that's for sure. So yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. And also let me know what you think about what Eddie Hearn said, that if they trade left hooks, Tyson Fury is going to be hitting the canvas and staying there. <laughs> He'll be going to sleep. Again, the old boxing adage is you, you can't hook with a hooker, but you can jab with a jabber. Dylan White definitely has a better left hook than Tyson Fury, for sure. Dylan White has a better left hook than most heavyweights in the division. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be too many people arguing that point. But it's whether he can land, it's whether he can get Tyson Fury to trade left hooks with him. Tyson Fury is not generally one of those guys who get into those kind of exchanges with you. You know, one of the issues, one of the dangers with pad work, see a lot, a lot of people look at fighters hitting the pads and they just see it as an aerobic thing or a muscle memory thing. And it is to some degree, but you also don't want to get into the same patterns. And this is a mistake that so many trainers make. They get the fighters throwing the same punch combinations, the same patterns over and over again. And it gets so drilled into the fighter that they throw the shots uh, in, in such a way that it becomes predictable to the opponent. The opponent, so let's say a one, two and a left hook. Some fighters will be so drilled with that combination in their mind that when they're in the ring in the heat of the moment, they're throwing one, two, left hook, one, two, left hook. One. So the opponent knows exactly what's coming after the one, two. So they can, let's say, they see the one, two coming, they step back. You miss with the one, two. They know that there's a left hook coming. They start throwing their left hook before you throw your left hook and they put you to sleep. You see it. So when it comes to pad work, <laughs> I think pad work is personally overrated. A lot of people don't realize that some of the greatest fighters of all time never did any pad work. Muhammad Ali, you know, back in the 70s, all those heavyweights back then and most fighters, they weren't doing pads. <laughs> they were still great fighters. Uh, Manny Stewart was the first person to ever take Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. on the pads. And Chavez Sr. had already had, I think, close to 100 fights by that point. A great fighter, never done pad work in his life. Can you imagine? So. Pad work is useful, yes, but it's overrated. It's not as important as people imagine it to be. And it can also be detrimental if you don't know what you're doing as a trainer. You know, if you, you get into, you, you get your fighter into certain patterns, you need to vary things up. <laughs> you can't make it so predictable. You need to incorporate feints into pad work. Uh, you need to incorporate creativity where you let the fighter throw the kind of shots they want to throw rather than getting them to throw the exact same shots all the time. Now, obviously you want to drill a certain amount of, uh, how can I describe it? You, you want to drill certain things into the fighter. Perhaps you're going up against an opponent who has a really good right hand. So 
you want to move in a particular direction away from the right hand, uh, you want to throw shots which are not going to leave you as vulnerable to getting hit by the right hand and so on, and combinations which are going to leave you in a position where you're moving away from that shot, etc. So yeah, I, I fully understand all that. But a lot of trainers, when you see them on the pads, it's all very routine. It's like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, all this kind of stuff. And uh, the fighter's really not thinking. The fighter's just on autopilot. You don't want the fighter to be on autopilot. You want the fighter to think about everything that they're doing in the ring at all times, particularly as you move up through the levels. The fighter needs to be thinking all the time exactly what they're doing when they're throwing their shots and not just doing things by reflex action. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, defensive moves by reflex action are safer than offensive moves by reflex action. That's one thing I will say. So with Mike Tyson, for example, they drilled the defensive, the custom model defensive techniques into him to the point where it just became reflex. Even now at the age of 50 something, when he fought Roy Jones, he still had that old, those old defensive moves. <laughs> so drilling defensive moves into people is a lot safer than offensive moves. Yeah. So anyway, This is Omar Ahmed for IFL TV, proudly sponsored by Everlast. It's been absolutely ages since the last one, Frank Warren. It is. How you been? I haven't seen you for a long time. <laughs> yeah, all good, thanks. We are approaching uh, fight night now. Just had the face-offs between uh, Avanesian and Metz and Shiraz and Smith. Let's discuss the main event first. Avanesian and Metz, what are you expecting, Frank? I think it's going to be a good fight. I mean, he, he seems quite confident. Ascari seems very much up for it. And, uh, you know, he's in with a, with a guy ranked number two in the WBC. Um, unfortunately that fight with Ortiz didn't come off and a couple of other fights we tried to make with the opposition so uh, we are where we are but it's a fifth I think it's a sixth defense of his European title this guy seems fairly comfortable uh, confident so we'll see on the night but um, look he's got to come out and do the business David and he's he's been unbelievable up to now when you look at his performances he's gone in, in as an underdog in all these fights and upset the odds and maybe this fellow coming in as the underdog feels he can do the same. Well, David, of course, justifiably so, is very confident. And uh, speaking to him just now, he wants to move on after this fight from European level. He just wants a, a direct shot to a world title, Frank. So with Virgil Ortiz pulling out of this Saturday, where does that leave that situation with Errol Spence and the WBC belt and Avanesian? Well, he's got obviously after Saturday, if Barani comes through, OK, we'll speak to the BC and uh, see where we are with him. But he needs, he needs, a, he needs, needs a big fight. But you can't overlook Saturday night. You know that, is, that that's a, a, could be a potential bump in the road. Fellas undefeated. Now looking at your card, uh, the likes of uh, Hamza Shiraz and a good fight with Jez Smith. First fight middleweight. Uh, you got Afori and Chamberlain, which is a very good fight. You got Dennis McCann on Sam Noakes on the card. Looks strong, Frank. Um, I've spoke to you about this before, but people will heighten this again during fight week. The criticism for this first card uh, that you do. I know you did a card last week, but your first main Saturday night fight night has come from the main event. So do you just want to justify to the viewers again why Avanesian's fighting Mets? He's fighting because that's the, the only opponent we could get for him. That's the fact. That's what it is. You know that that happens in boxing. He's an avoided fighter. I mean, you know for a fact we offered Conor Ben extremely good money to fight him. 
Ortiz unfortunately didn't want to go for it, so he's he's avoided. You can understand why he's avoided. But like this, like he said, you know, uh, Oscar, he said that he hasn't avoided him. He wants to take the opportunity. So we'll see what happens. And you know, it's just good. It's a good, strong card. There's some really good fights on the card. Frank, we've got Sam Noakes and Mark Chamberlain on this card, both in decent fights as well. But are we on a, a crossroads here between the pair of them? I think these two are going to wind up fighting each other, providing they keep winning. There's no doubt about that. They've got to keep winning their respective fights. Um, I wouldn't do it straight away. And we have no problem matching guys in our camp under our promotional umbrella. We've done it on numerous occasions. And I'm quite sure maybe sometime by the end of the year, if they both keep, keep their winning ways, it'll be a fight to be made. And it'll be a cracker between the two. And they're two really good, exceptional young talents. Um, what's Dennis McCann's fight like in terms of a test? It is a test for him, you know, it's, he's, he's, it's the youth title he's fighting for. You know, he's still a young man, he's still, you know, he's, not, he's still got a bit, a bit to do yet as far as uh, developing, I think, physically, getting his man strength. And I think also, you know, he needs more experience, but the more experience he gets, the better fighter he's going to become. And I expect to see him, again, providing he wins, in some big fights by the end of the year. He's very capable. He has... He has massive potential but you've got to make the right fights at the right time you said that they're massive potential I know you've been backing Dennis McCann from day dot uh, Frank we've got a really good fight coming up between um, uh, Liam Davis and Andrew Kane which you announced uh, which is coming up in April yeah. now could that be a potential fight for Dennis McCann the winner of that yeah, I mean we, we, we got that we got we're sort of blessed with some brilliant talent at that weight division some brilliant talent and there's some great fights there to be made between all of them and we certainly look at that Hamza Shiraz, a middleweight debut against a confident talking Jess Smith, a fully prepared Jess Smith as well. Let's quickly address uh, Hamza's New Year deal. Just talk to me about why you renewed with uh, Hamza Shiraz. Because I, I believe in him and I believe he's an exceptional talent. Um, you know, he, I think he was struggling at the weight in his last couple of fights. Although he did what he had to do, I think he's going to be more comfortable at middleweight. I mean, you've only got to look at the size of him. He's a very, very, he's a big middleweight still. Um, but I think he's going to be far, far more comfortable and I honestly do believe that he's going to have a good fight with, with Jez. I mean, there's no way that he comes to roll over. He is a natural middleweight and he's fought higher than middleweight. He's a tough guy and as he said himself, it's the first time he's had a proper chance to prepare in a camp for a specific opponent and not be brought in at last minute. So I think he's going to, I think, you know, this is going to be a good test for Hamza. Now, I know you addressed this uh, Bradley Skeet situation in the press conference with Dev, but just for the viewers on here, so the situation in that was you offered Bradley Skeet the rematch on a, on a Queensbury show against Hamza Shiraz, but obviously he announced his retirement, so Hamza said um, best of luck to Bradley in his retirement. I'm sure you share the same sentiments, Frank? Absolutely, you know, it, it, that's his decision and I respect his decision. In the meantime, you know, uh, Hamza's got to get on with his career and as I say, as we all you know, repeat myself, he's now gone up uh, a weight division. Well, tune in to BT Sport this Saturday night for all of that and also Royston Barney-Smith's debut. Very excited about him, I know. I am. He's, he's an exceptional young amateur. Uh, he's, he's a baby, obviously. He's 18 years of age. He's doing what Ricky Hatton did. He's doing what Amir Khan and what the great Nassim Hamid did, turned pro at 18. He's got a good record. I think he had about 40, sorry, about 50 fights as amateur, won 45 of them. Two times European uh, gold medalist champion so I'm expecting him to be a real fantastic and exciting addition 
to the professional ranks. Still a baby, got a long way to go. We put a little bit of pressure on him, but, he, but you know, he seems capable of, 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 of the pressure. And uh, for him, Saturday night, I think uh, it's going to be a special occasion. At least I hope it will be. And I think, I think the fans are going to like him. I think it'll be a good journey for him. OK. Now, Frank, we last spoke on Tuesday where you told me that you had put your application in uh, for the local authorities to grant you 100,000 people at Wembley for Fury White. Has there been any update on that, please? We, they haven't, we haven't got anything back from them yet, so we're still awaiting that, but it's sold out. I think, as I said, I don't even know if they're still there. There was a few uh, um, platinum tickets, but I don't even know if, I, I, I don't know if they've gone or not, but there was only a few left anyway. It's a sellout, you know, it's a... And quite rightly, it should be. Homecoming of Tyson Fury after four years. I haven't actually really asked you about how you think the fight goes. I've talked to you about the business side of things a lot in the last few weeks at your office, but I actually haven't got your thoughts on the fight. Uh, Tyson Fury v Dillian White, April 23rd. How does that play out? Look, fights like this, anything can happen. You know, guys get themselves up for it. It's a great opportunity for Dillian White. You know, he's been waiting, what is it, over a 1,000, 1,200 days for this opportunity. Well, now he's got it. So he's got his platform. Um, he's in with the best heavyweight of his generation, by far. Um, how do I see the fight going on? I only look at the skill sets. I look at the skill sets of Tyson. Tyson's a fighter that can box. He can, he's, shown that, he's shown in recent fights he can stand and trade. He can punch. He can take a shot. He's got good recovery powers. Got fast hands, got great footwork. He can sw he switch hit it, hits. So he's a nightmare for anybody, no doubt about that. Um, you look at comparable fights that they both had, which opponents, uh, probably Derek Chisora is the one that comes to mind. Uh, Tyson fought, fought him twice and beat Derek twice. And in the last fight, time he fought Derek, he beat him quite convincingly, stopped him. Um, and I look at the fights with. Derek and Dillian, and I feel that uh, I felt that uh, Derek won the, f the first fight, but the second one, he was behind and he came, he pulled it out the bag, he pulled it out the bag and stopped him. He can punch. He's he's got a good left hook. He's no doubt about that. But I ju I just feel that I don't think anybody can live with Tyson Fury at the moment. I really mean that. You know, I think Tyson Fury is a very very special heavyweight. Do you think he knocks out Dillian White? I think he'll get to him and I think he'll stop him. Any updates on Joe Joyce? Uh, Joe's uh, will be fighting in May. He's, he, we, we, we reports back that he's, he's the, the, uh, wrist, the broken wrist is, is healed, and he'll resume sparring soon. So once he does that, then we'll put a, we'll have a date for him to fight. Could that potentially be a pay-per-view fight? It depends who he fights. That's the real thing, Umar. Depends what sort of fight he's in. But you know, most important thing is at the moment to get him to say that he's ready to go. And once he's ready to go, we can make the fight for him. I know you announced a date for Echo Esserman, so you've got some things bubbling up in the welterweight division. It's a good fight. Against Tetley. Yeah, that's a very good fight. I like that fight. And I like, I like Esserman. He's, 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 he's something a little bit special. He sort of just slipped under the radar a bit, didn't he? He's like, a bit like Zach Parker. He's another one like that, but he, he's a bloody good fighter, quality fighter. And uh, I'm expecting some big things of him. Well, you've got the British champ with him, European champ with David. Do want to get your thoughts on uh, the fight that Matram announced with Conor Ben with Chris Van Heerden for April 16th. Your thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, it's a good matchup. I think a better matchup, though, would have been Avanissian. 
Well, there you go. And my last question to you, um, any updates regarding Dimitris Andrade and Zach Parker? Are we going to get an official confirmation we soon? Were, we were trying to get him in this week, uh, sorry, this week and next week, but unfortunately his passport had expired. So he's applied for a new passport. As soon as he gets it, we'll get him over and we will have him... Uh, we'll do the press conference. It's, it's a shame. Not, there's nothing sinister in it. It's, you know, it's all gen genuine. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing him. And I'm looking forward to, forward to that fight. That's a really good, good fight and a great opportunity for Zach. Um, and so hopefully next week we can, we can get them together. Frank Warren, thank you very much for your time on IFL TV again. And uh, I think Dev's waiting for you, so I better let you go. All right, mate. All the best to you. Delighted to be joined by Dean White. We're here at the press conference for Richard Riatpool's big fight this weekend. What did you make of the card this weekend on Sky? That's a nice, good, good stat card. Local boys. Obviously, a lot of guys I know and grew up around in boxing, in the gyms. And it's nice to see, you know what I mean? Sky and Boxer bringing on local, homegrown guys locally. Wembley doing O2s and local shows, which is good. I think the, the, the main event is going to be a real barnstormer, you know? A lot of, not, not being funny about anyone, Richard, I know Richard was a power, do you man know him as well? Not a lot of guys wanted to fight the ghost, so we must commend Richard Riappaul for taking this fight. Very, very hard fight. When you fight a Southpaw, it's always a, a hard, hard night. And uh, I think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, the styles and how both guys make adjustments to get the win. Obviously, it's this, Richard's the big power puncher, likes to keep it long, he's got good movement, very, very strong. Um, Dumas called the ghost for a reason, he don't get hit that much. Slips, likes to throw his uh, straight left down the pipe. I watched him funny enough about um, three weeks ago at the Perth Fleet Boxing. You know, I'm one for getting into the amateur shows and the low shows and the big shows. So, uh, but he boxed, he boxed the guy who, um, the guy that boxed Vidal Riley. And he, he boxed his head off. And that guy was tough. You know what I mean? So I, I got a feeling that Richard's in for a tough ride. And, um, you know, make the best man win, man. It's going to be a great fight, though, I think. You know Richard really well because yeah, he was yeah. up training with Mark Tibbs and Dillian yeah, to, in Loughborough for a while. Rich, yeah, we used to manage Rich Coach. Do, do you yeah. think he's got the potential to, to be a world champion? All of these boys, I feel, you know, because obviously we're talking about the, the fight because it's not a foregone conclusion that he wins. You know, as much as I'd like him to win, you know, or whatnot, it's still not a foregone conclusion. He has the potential. He has the look of a star quality. Um, he, you know, he's in tremendous shape, trains well, lives the life, you know, but there's a, a few steps to go. Does, you know, you got, you got, you got Lawrence Acoli there, you got Bredis, those are real hard fights. He's got hard fights Saturday. We can't really talk about that step just yet because he needs to win this, maybe win. Is he, is he, he hasn't won a European yet, has he? Not yet. Yeah, he's got to win a European. There's a few more steps for him to go. Um, he's, he, the, one of the first fights I've seen, he, um, he boxed a bit cagey. The, the fight the other day was a little bit better. You know, there's slight improvements. There must be more improvements for him to beat uh, the Ghost on Saturday night, but he's got the punching power, which gets him out of jams. And like I said, we, we've done a lot of Richard's career throughout, you know, the Sam Hyde, um, all the other fights he was on, on Matchroom. So, you know, I know Richard very well, but look, I wish him all the best, man. I wish all the guys all the best because it's a great show with guys around that deserve their shots that maybe weren't getting their shots on the likes of Matchroom uh, as much as they wanted to. So, you know, credit to these boys, but big, big, big chance tonight to make a statement uh, in the Cruiserweight division. 
we're less than 50 metres away from Wembley Stadium, less than a month to go now until your brother takes on Tyson Fury. How are you feeling about it? We've got a little while to go, but are you already building that excitement? Do you know what? I think probably as it gets closer, it will more settle in and I'll get there. Um, but it's a good fight. It's a fight that, you know, we're confident, you know, because we know what, what Dillian is. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he's a man that is a real, you know, monster when he wants to set his stool out, you know what I mean? He, he'll, he'll take a shot, give shots, and he, you know what I mean? So you're going to have to be tough, smart, Yes, my boy. We can say, come on. Yeah, you got to be tough, smart um, to beat the likes of, uh, you know, the Fury there. But I feel like them three fights he had with um, John Tewada has probably taken a few miles off the clock. That's what I think. We're going to see if, you know, it proved me wrong. But hell of a talent, hell of a skillful boxer. If he chooses to box and move, it's going to be a very hard night. But I was in um, Las Vegas with um, Sugar Hill and, and their crunk style. He said, listen, that old Fury. Is, is not here anymore. Our side is coming forward looking for the knockout. So I think that suits Dillian down to the absolute T if he comes and wants to have a trade up. Uh, I doubt he'll do that, but you know, like, I think it's, it, it, it'll be a good uh, match of stars, but we're quietly confident Dillian's training. He hasn't got any of the obligations of being having to do all this media stuff and you know, as they wanted it. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's just cracking on, man. How is he? Because he has remained quiet. Do you think he will remain quiet now until fight week? quiet, man. He's talking somewhere else where you look can't hear him. He's very vocal. And all the boys you know, he is very loud and vocal. You know what I mean? This morning he was getting some mad jokes. He got a group. He's off his box. But yeah, he's good. He's, in, he's, he's definitely in good spirits. Um, I'm actually going out there on Sunday after the show uh, for a week and just catch up, get into the camp and just see what they're doing. Just I, I want to have a look to make sure I feel like you know, these are stuff I would think, because I coach, I've got an eye for boxing, so I want to know, you know, they're doing the right things. And, you know, I, I feel like that what he might need to do to, you know, get uh, get the better of uh, Tyson Fury. Do you feel like we're, we'll hear from him before fight week? Or is he going to remain calm and uh, keep himself to himself? I, I, yeah, I think, you know, right now, I think he just said, Look, I'm going to get my head down um, and just crack on. It could change. You never know. But I think he's going to get his head down and then fight week approaches, then he might you know, do what he needs to do. But most of the talking is going to be done in the ring. And uh, I think we're going to see, we're going to see a big, strong, explosive Dillian getting busy. What do you think happens on that fight now? As you say, we're not quite sure what performance or what method that Tyson's going to use to, to try and get victory. But but Dillian, he's building in confidence, isn't he? He's taking on some of the best in the sport. Dillian's always confident, you know what I mean? And, and you know, I think the fight's a big fight. It's a great fight for, the, you know, the UK that we've got so many heavyweights at the top of the pinnacle of the sport. Um, they said it's one of the biggest purses in history over here. So all of that said, I feel like, look, Dillian's just got to go. There's winning in life. He's winning in whatever he's done, from, especially where we come from. I feel like, you know, he's a force. And, and I think that force needs to be shown in that ring. A lot of the guys, Tyson Fury, I don't think they've come with that sheer brute force and will. Um, I, they, they keep comparing Trezora to Dillian. They don't fight nothing the same. Tajora, me and him get on really well, good guy, or oh, now we get on well. Um, but their fighting styles isn't the same. Um, and Dillian is a very, very, you know, high level boxer, fighter, boxer. So, you know, um, it's going to be interesting. He's going to have to do all of it on the night. Not too much boxing, but you're going to have to be smart and position yourself to get the victory. But we're going to see, we've got, we got, we got some work to do. But one thing we know, when he does hit Tyson Fury, he's going to stay tangled, mate. <laughs>
Frank Warren is on the line live, and we've been rejoined by Dillian White's lawyer, Jeff Benz. Jeff, good morning once again. This is your chance. Tell Frank what you're not happy with. <laughs> well, I understand that while I was gone, Frank managed to breach our confidential agreement and read it. But putting that aside, I don't know what else he said. But Frank, where are we on the... Uh the tickets that Dillian asked to buy before you sold them all to Ticketmaster. He hasn't been given the chance to buy any. And where are we on the comps that he asked for? And where are we on the escrow that we've asked for? And we don't have any escrow of Dillian's purse. We've been asking for that for over a month. These are just basic things, putting aside the economic issue. So go ahead, Frank. I want to hear from you. Did you sign a contract for this bout? We did, Frank, on, on the representation by your son that we would have further negotiations. Did you, you weren't part of that discussion. That you, I haven't even talked to you since before the first bid. Hey, am I, are you going to let me Jeff, ask, let Frank you, speak. Jeff, Jeff, there's, you know, other people have got views besides yours. So let's just go through this. You signed a, you signed a bout agreement. In that bout agreement, where does it say anything about escrow accounts, tickets, or any of these things that you mentioned, where does it, you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, where does it say anything in that contract you signed? Hey, Frank, if you want to get into a legal debate about Swiss law, which is what apparently well, applies to this, uh, no, I'm happy I don't to do it, man. I don't I'm, happy, I'm happy to so do it. So then answer the question. Answer the question, you're a lawyer. Frank, baby, are you going to let me answer I'm not a lawyer. I left school when I was 14 and a half. You're Frank, a lawyer. Are you, you going to let me Did answer? you advise your clients to hey, Frank, sign the bad agreement? Okay, Frank, Jeff, you heard Frank. what Frank's saying, so now is your chance oh, to answer, answer it. Where the these things? Oh, where these things in the contract? I get the, On you go, I Jeff. I get to talk. We, we signed a form bout agreement. We had negotiations that said we were going to have further conversations about all these other elements. Frank should know that. He hasn't been told that by his lawyer or by his son. It's not my fault. So, Frank, tell me where we are on getting De get Dillion's money guaranteed. Answer my question, don't Frank. Be why don't you, you want to put, you 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 to put Dillion's properly? Frank, Frank, why don't you want to put Dillion's money in a place that's protected? It is protected. What's wrong with that? Where it is, is it, then, Frank? Let me just where tell you something. Let me just tell you something. On you go, all Frank. You, on you go, Frank. You've signed an agreement. You're his lawyer. So if you're worried about the money then he should be looking to you because you advised him to sign it. And if there's a problem, if I was him, I'd sue you if I don't get paid because you advised him to sign it. Jeff, is Frank, that not a fair point? You've, you've signed the contract. Not Does Frank correct. not have not a point? You're his lawyer. Not at, not at all. Not at all. Frank's beating around the bush. He won't answer my questions. But, but, but Jeff, is there, that, Jeff, is there a contract? No, no. Jeff, is there a contractual no, obligation? Hang on, Jeff. You're Simon. Jeff, is there a contractual obligation in the contract for Frank to put money in escrow? There isn't. We agreed to so discuss there's, so, 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 that, so with respect. We agreed. Hang on, Jeff. I haven't finished. No, so with, Hang on, no, Jeff. I'm I haven't finished. With respect, if it's not a contractual obligation to put it in escrow, why are you asking for something that's not a contractual obligation then? To ask Mr. Ask Mr. Warren then why? But I'm asking you because you're the one that's negotiated go, the contract. Why did Dillian White? Why was Dillian White shamed by Mr. Warren for not going? That's to not the question I asked you, Jeff. Jeff, it's I asked you. You're, you're, you're putting it on Frank's toes. Me, Hang on, let me Jeff. Answer, let me. You're putting it on Frank's toes about escrow. If it's not in the contract, why would you ask for something that you've had your client sign on a contract on that doesn't reference that in the contract? Am I am I talking non-commercial words to you guys? Yeah, you are. We had a discussion. You're, you're, you're talking non-commercial words. Speak legal. We had a discussion. I'm sorry. Listen, would you? Just give me a second. 
we had a discussion with the other side about all of this. And we had a deadline to sign a form bout agreement that Mr. Warren wants to read a bunch of other things into, including Dillian's obligations to promote the fight and do other things, which aren't in there either. And you now want to hold me to that standard? We had a discussion where we were going to have a further discussion. This is what goes on in the real world of business when you do commercial deals. It might not go on in Frank's little boxing world, but this is what real deal makers do. Frank, would and you that's argue? The discussion Frank, I had Frank, would you, Frank would meet the deadline. Frank, would you argue that you've done everything by the book, Frank? My listen, if I haven't, sue me. I've this contract. I've abided by everything. It took them nearly four weeks to sign a contract. They signed it an hour before it was due to be signed. Clause eleven of that contract it says the boxer shall reasonably promote the bout the WB sanction of the bout and the WBC heavyweight championship positively in their social media accounts. Dillian has not posted one thing about this fight. Not one. Why, why is that, is Jeff? That, is that not contractual obligation, Jeff, Mr. Lawyer? Well, Mr. Warren, it is not contractually defined as to what that means. You tell me what's reasonable, buddy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it means. It means agreement. he should be I know what you think it means. I think, it means he, I think you think it means he should be on it every day. He has no, no obligation. Well, he's not done one. There. And let's talk, about, let's, talk about your, let's talk about how long it took to do this agreement. You guys represented to us a form agreement that turned out to not be the form agreement. You misrepresented to us what the form agreement was. And when we got to the bottom of it, we had to go back to what was actually the form agreement. Now, talk about why that takes time. Ask your guys. Tell me, tell me something. Why did you sign this agreement? There's no escrow in it. You, you're obliged to do things promotionally. Why did you sign it if you're not going to do these things? And you want more things that are not in a contract? Frank, you're a lawyer. Frank, I'm not a lawyer. You're Frank, the lawyer. You hey, you're the Mr. lawyer. Mr. What are you doing? Mr. You've, not, you've obviously, you've obviously Mr. not protected Mr. all the things you're asking for, because obviously... In your view, you've not protected your client's interest. You shouldn't have advised him to sign the contract. Not at all, then. Frank. Frank, show me where it is that we have to do any of the things that you've said, other than reasonably. Can I ask you? Can I ask you two boys besides tittle tattle? Is there any contractual breaches on either side? Because yeah. on one side there seems to be an obligation for Dillian to make appearances, which you're disputing. Um, um, uh, Dillian's lawyer, and and on the other side of it, you're making observations about there should be an escrow account, Frank. But at the beginning of the conversation, I don't want to throw under the bus, but you mentioned that money had been placed in escrow. It seems that it hasn't been. If there's no contractual obligation that. to do that, I said yes, you the did. offer you... was made. Well, okay, well, an offer was made to place uh, what an escrow. I said to you, what I said to you, I said on the 26th of February, my son sent a text to Jeff at 17:08 saying that. We provide a private plane to bring him over. Although we're not obliged to do it, it's not contractual. None of this is. But why are we arguing about escrows then, then Frank? Why is there a reference to escrow if you don't have because to do it? Want, it's not contractual obligation. Asked, let me finish then, and I'll explain. Because they asked for the money to go into escrow, and we agreed to do that, subject to him showing up to the launch press conference. Is that right, Jeff? You want to? You want to partially read your son's text to me? I can read you the whole lot of them. If you want, but is that I can right, read Jeff? A whole bunch of emails through. Is that no, right, it's Jeff? No, it's not accurate. No, no it's, it's not, not read accurate. It. Read it. Sure. Uh, let me go back to. Read it. Uh, this read is tied it. to making. This is me. This is me to your son. This is tied to making progress on incentives and nailing down comps, credentials, access, and the ticket buy, as well as getting the escrow nailed down. You, you failed to mention that text 
probably two texts before your sons that you just read from. So if you want to play this game, I'm in this this business. I tell the whole story. I'm looking at the 20, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the 26th of February text in my phone right now, Frank, in my phone, not a selective one, your son printed for you or whatever you got. But if you want to get into that battle, I got the whole record. I am not at all concerned about the accuracy of what I say and what I said. I'm in a a regulated profession. Let me ask you a question and for once, try and be honest. Was there an offer made to you to put the money into escrow or not there was never any offer to put the money into escrow that was with an escrow agreement and terms and the ability to do it none of it oh, you guys, wanted us to fly guys what, i've got i've got to say a frank, and a wing and a prayer. jeff frank it seems it jeff, seems to me jeff, one of you's jeff, not telling the truth so who is it you're a lawyer jeff and i'm going to say this as a lawyer and this, and, and i'm and i'm as i say i'm not a lawyer but i'm going to say you're a liar well, Frank, you might get to test that out in court. But I would say to you, it makes a lot more sense for us to start talking to each other directly than through the radio. So if you want to do it this way, I'm happy to do Adhere it. Adhere to the contract that you got your client to sign. Adhere to the contract you got your client to sign. We're, fo- we're following. We're following Frank, the, Frank we're Jeff, following. it does seem very clear to the millions who are listening and watching this unfold on YouTube and Facebook at the moment that the two of you need to speak. You need to speak further with each other. Frank, is that not right? Jeff, is that not right? Because you've got to get this sorted just, out. Because all fight, fans want, all fight fans want is a fight. Absolutely. I just said it. I agree with you. We've been trying to talk to them for months. But, but in, fairness, in, in fairness to Frank, if you've signed a contract and you're trying to circumnavigate that contract by renegotiating yeah. things, then Frank does have a point to say, adhere to your contract. If you want some other things, fine, we'll discuss them. But adhere to the basic principles of your contract first. Well, we have. Thank you. Simon, explain to the listeners what escrow is. It means parked in an account held to order in favour of the fighter. An escrow account, by the way... Um, Jeff. It's Jeff, it's your job to set up an escrow account. If you want money paid into an escrow account, you give Frank the coordinates, not the other way around. I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that, especially when. Well, it's, it's not. Ca- hang on, it's not a case of buying it. it. It's a fact. If you want money paid into an escrow account, you tell Frank where it's you want to pay fact. it. Jeff, a simple question: Have you acted from start to finish so far honourably? Absolutely. Frank, have you gonna... started on this from start to now honourably? Uh, everything in that contract, it, since I've won the purse bid, or Queensbury won the purse bid, everything that's we've, that we've, we've had to do, we've done. Money was lodged. The deposit was lodged with the WBC, four, over $4 million. The, the, the venue, the date was given on time. The contracts from Tyson signed was signed. They eventually signed theirs all on sign. Everything done. The press conference, they never showed up at all at. That's their first acts of bad faith as far as this is concerned. Is it a breach of contract, Frank, then? Is that a breach of contract? Of course it is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and we will deal with it. We've already written to them and told them. We reserve our position and we'll deal with that after the fight. So are you two going to deal with everything to allow this fight to go ahead, which is what fight fans want? Jeff, is everything going to get sorted out? Oh, I, The fight's going to go forward. Dillian's going to fight. Is it all going to be sorted out? Well... That's going to depend on a lot of people other than us. Do you echo yeah. that, well, Frank? The, listen, what? Look, what the smoking gun was fired. We went ahead with a press conference and sold out in three hours. 
that smoking gun was fired. That's gone. You've not helped at all in any way, to, in any shape or form. There's been nothing from Dillian to help promote this fight. That's a fact of life. You even wrote to us and said to us, we can't use these photographs on the poster. What? How is that supposed to... Is that true, Jeff, that, you, that they couldn't use Dillian's image on the poster? We wrote to them and said, you needed Dillian's approval in order to use his, post, his artwork on the poster. We believe they misrepresented Dillian's status in the artwork that they chose. They never came to us and asked for consent. I've been at this for 30 years, advising and running people that run events. Uh, and I've never once dared to use an individual's image or anything else without their consent. And I don't understand what's wrong with that view. Okay. Uh, Jeff Benz, Dylan White's lawyer, we want to thank you for your time. Frank Warren, thank you for joining us. You two have got a lot to catch up on. Um, the fight is live and exclusive on TalkSport, and let's hope it's as fiery as a build-up. This is Robert for Seconds Out with my old pal, Don Charles. How are you, Robert? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Obviously, we're living through the pandemic um, times, you know. I'm sure I've had close friends who, who uh, suffered from it. Luckily, a lot of them came through it and lost a few people through the pandemic, you know. I'm sure it's widespread, you know. How about you? Yeah, it's very similar, unfortunately, and we've had quite a few people at work who've had it quite seriously, but thankfully, most of them are recovering well, so that's good. And, um, of course, now on top of the pandemic, we've got this uh, war in uh, the Ukraine. I mean, it's not one thing, it's another thing. You know, the world is, uh, it's kind of, uh, there's a lot of changes in the world. You know, you feel it in the air, there's a lot happening, you know. Like you said, if it's not something like what we've all, uh, gone through in the past two years with the with the corona virus then you got the the war that's uh taking uh place currently as we speak in in, in ukraine you know it's very unfortunate so uh what with a, from a boxing perspective what have you been up to don um like usually um obviously i'm no exception we've all just come through the uh the or coming through the pandemic it's still about um obviously the bubble we were all uh, fortunate to be able to box us to, to contest inside the bubble, which is no longer uh, audiences are allowed in, into the venue. So that's very good for the industry going forward. And me personally, yeah, I'm always, I call this the gym. We're currently in my gym. I call it the, the, the kitchen where the meal's prepared in terms of I train fighters. That's what I do for a living. So I'm always in the kitchen cooking up the next recipe. Just before we... Uh uh, started this interview, you were training a young lady. Correct. That's as well as training professional boxers. Uh, I also uh, train individuals who want to learn. After all, boxing is an art. If you go to, there's no difference in going to learn karate, uh, any jiu-jitsu, any martial art. Uh, and boxing is a, a, a member of the martial art family. So you know, people come here for various reasons to learn the art of boxing, and also whilst they're gaining a, a good fitness level. So, without further ado, I think we've got to talk about some of this heavyweight boxing that's coming up, seeing that you're 
that's your speciality. Yeah. Former tech trainer of Derek Chisora, of course. Current trainer of your son, George Fox. Mm -hmm. Harry. Harry Armstrong. Uh, Harry Armstrong, who's also an up-and-coming heavyweight. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about two fights in particular. The first one is Fury versus White. Is it going to happen? Well, I pray for the, for the industry that it does. Um, I don't see why not. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of politics going on. There always is politics in, 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 in boxing. It sh there shouldn't be, but it, 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 it is there. Um, yeah, the fight should go ahead. Um, everything points to it taking place, you know, um, from what I've read, heard, you know, yeah. So, so if we talk about the shenanigans, perhaps they're not political, perhaps they're psychological. Is, uh, are some of these sh shenanigans being put in place to affect the fighters? Do you think it will have an effect on Fury? Well, in terms of uh, Dylan's stance, um, no, it won't actually affect the, f the fight. Obviously, the promotional aspects of it, yes, in the sense that, it, I, I don't know about you, I don't believe there's ever been in history of a fight, especially of this magnitude, where the um, opponent or the other part hasn't turned, turned up to, uh, to promote the fight. I, don't, I haven't ever witnessed that, have you? I can't recall it, no. So it's unique. And... Um, Fury being the charismatic uh, entertainer, salesman, he, 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 you saw what he did in the first press conference. He improvised, and uh, you know it's a one-man show. And that fight, I'll be honest with you, that fight, yes, of course, any any publicity you can get will increase how many uh, uh, spectators that you 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 get uh, to watch. I think the fight sells itself. The fight sells itself, um, but. If Dylan uh, came, the more involvement uh, you have with Dylan, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm actually, as a fan, very disappointed. I'll tell you why. I was looking forward to the press conferences between Dylan White and Tyson Fury. So we, the fans, have actually missed out on that. I don't want to get involved with the politics of why he didn't, we know what he's alluding to, why he didn't show up. But... It is disappointing because, like I said, I'm a fan, uh, and like other fans worldwide, we've been denied of that entertainment because the, the press conferences is a part of it. So when you say we all know why uh, he didn't show up, you're assuming? No, when I say we all know why, uh, he said why. He said because they're not paying him what he believed believes that he deserves, so therefore he's not contractually obliged to take part in promoting the fight. That's what he said. That's what's been documented. So let's move on from what we're uh, talking about, the shenanigans, the politics, the PR of it. How do you see the actual fight? Wow. Well, I speak from first-hand experience, yeah. Um, first and foremost, Dylan deserves his chance. Okay, he's been waiting. He's been waiting for a lifetime to get this opportunity. Um, how do I see the fight what, panning out? Yeah, right. I've been, like I said, I've witnessed firsthand where I've trained an individual to try and fight Fury. Okay, and um, the guy, I described him in various interviews I've given in the past as a chameleon. Yeah, where this 
guy has got fury. He's got the ability to adapt. He's got the ability to change colors. So it's very, very hard to prepare for somebody who who's able to rip up your game plan in front of you and there's not a lot you can do about it. I've experienced it twice with the, obviously with Derek Chisora. Okay. I was so convinced in the second fight with 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 uh with with uh Fury and Chisora that we were going to get an emphatic victory over Fury. And guess what? He made it easier. Fury made it easier. He won easier than he did in the first uh, uh, uh fight with, with Chisora. And that's when I became a fan of his. And when I salute him uh, for having, like I said, that ability to be able to rip up your script and, and it, right in front of you, he's got that ability, he's that special. I know your son also trains in the camp sometimes if you're easy training in this next camp. Um, yeah, he has previously in the previous three fights with uh, when Fury fought Wilder for the three camps, he was enrolled to help out. Um, play, he played quite a key role in, in, uh, as one of the sparring partners. And uh, no, he hasn't been invited back for this camp purely. Um, there's a lot of uh, reasons. Uh, George stylistically is not Dylan White, okay? And he wasn't, his services weren't needed for, for this one. Okay, great. So uh, from that, what do we take the, the victory? You you're shouting out for a victory for Fury. Yeah. How do you see the victory? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I'm a boxing purist. I'm a coach. And like I said, um, it's not beyond um, Dylan White to pull off a victory. It's not beyond him. It depends of uh, how Fury approaches the fight. Okay? It depends on... I'm not going to expand on any on that it's not I'm not at liberty to do so it depends on how fury approaches the fight I do see oh, right now I only see a fury victory yeah but there is that but this is boxing number one number two is a heavyweight boxing yeah anything can can happen um, like I said it's all down to how fury approaches this fight um, yeah do you see it as a points victory for fury or a stoppage um, if I say a late stoppage, um, I wouldn't be, that's my opinion, okay, I have my reasons for that opinion, but like I said, this is boxing, and also, the fact that Dylan has locked himself away in Portugal, yeah, this is his chance, um, opportunity to, to make history, yeah, to rewrite history, and somebody with that type of ambition and he's waited and waited, yeah? Uh, I wouldn't dare or, or to write him off, um, yeah. He's got the hunger, you think? He's got the hunger, he's got the, all the makeup. This has got all the makeup of an, what we call an upset in boxing, it has. Yeah, for, for various reasons. Because, you know, when you're fighting somebody, the more you engage, i.e. the meetings, the press conferences, you draw certain elements from the opposition. And the fact, it's about getting to know the enemy, if you know what I mean. The fact, you get a feel of them, body language, psychological, everything. The fact Fury is not getting a measure or a feel, you know. He's, after all, Fury is a human being and he breathes oxygen, yeah? So therefore, he too will be not drawing what he would, because Fury is a master of press conferences. Yeah, I've witnessed it 
on two occasions where I've been involved in, in, in the opposition camp. And he, like, like the great Muhammad Ali, uh, uh, the fights won, part of the fight is won during these uh, encounters, press conferences, where he's able to get into the opponent's head and uh, distort it. Whereas, because Dylan's absence, Fury hasn't been able to administer that. So that's a, that's, that's a, 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 a factor in the sense, so it's almost like, the, I'm not sure when Dylan's going to turn up. Will he turn up for the further uh, co press conferences? He has to turn up for the weigh-in. Maybe the only time, I'm just speculating here, maybe the only time Dylan will turn up is during the weigh-in. And in some cases, it's, it's like, wow the shape he would turn, I'm expecting him to turn up in, in the best, he has to turn up in the best possible physical shape and mentally shape that he's ever been in. Okay, great. So that's a pretty good detailed view of the uh, Dillian White Fury fight. Of course, there's another great super heavyweight fight in the offing, which is the rematch between um, AJ, Anthony Joshua, and uh, Alexander or Alexander Usyk. Mm -hmm. um, your views on that one, particularly also Usyk being away, yeah. is coming back from yeah. the war in Ukraine. Yeah. That might play a part, your views? My, 100%. He's a human being. I always refer to the fact that we're all humans at the end of the day. We all have very similar uh, uh, mind. Some of us have stronger mind than others. Um, I'm quite surprised that Usyk has, uh, as in, left the war, which is still going on as we speak. Um, I don't make sense of it to actually come out that I'm, I am now going to fight in my profession. Um, I find that quite bizarre, to be quite honest. And what kind of mental state would he be in? And what kind of preparation? Um, in terms of preparation, I'm sure he'll prepare. It's mainly mental state. The, the war in his country, homeland, would be in his head. Why, why are you doing this? Why are you... At this time. At this time. I think, when I, I didn't believe it when I first heard that he's, yeah, um, leaving, uh, coming out of the war zone to come and have a, a fire. I don't think the timing uh, is, is right for, for him to do this. Talking about the fight a little bit more forensically, mm -hmm. AJ, first time under a new coach, mm -hmm. um, what are your views there? By the way, that coach... Uh, Angel Fernandez, he has always been in AJ's camp in recent times. So it's not new in the sense that he's familiar with AJ. So uh, I believe he's now been promoted as the head coach. Um, he's a very good coach. And um, I believe he's also the coach of Riakpo, Richard Riakpo, who recently uh, uh, won at the weekend. Um, he's a very good young coach with new ideas. and. You know, sometimes change is, is good, you know. Um, Robert, what Robert had achieved with AJ is unquestionable. And um, they should be very, very, if I was in Robert's shoes, I'd be very, very proud of what he, he got AJ uh, as an Olympian to, to go and achieve, you know. Um, in terms of uh, the new coach, yeah, I think you're going to see uh, improvements He's now got the feel, AJ's been in there, he's got the feel of Usyk, uh, what power Usyk possesses or possessed. And um, they would have got, had longer time now to work on the Southpaw uh, 
tactics. I mean, coincidentally, AJ won his world title off, a, off the back of a beating a southpaw than Charles Martin, yeah? But obviously, Usyk is a different gravy southpaw, you know, uh, uh, so they're gonna be working um, how to uh, try and equalize uh, the last result. A lot of people are saying they can't see a route for AJ to win this fight. Can you? Well, that's their opinion. This is a boxing match. This is a, a heavyweight contest. One thing you can't deny with AJ, he's explosive and he's got that equalizer, which is the right hand. Um, after having got the, gotten the feel, the feel of Usyk, yeah, he knows what they, the team, know what to do next, how to devise a game plan to take it to Usyk. A lot of people said in the first fight that they were surprised with AJ's inability to adapt, something that you said Fury does so well. Do you think now with this, the new head coach, having had the feel that you just suggested, you will see an adaption or a new game plan well, that stands a much higher chance of success? Yeah, well, definitely. There has to be and there will be because, like I said, this young man, what he meant, and he's also a southpaw, there's a lot to take, to take into account. But if you're asking me how do I see it panning out, after looking at a few factors, like I said, you know, about Usyk being a, a human being, uh, leaving that war, what's his mental state going to be like? Well, you know, I don't know what is this about. Listen, every, each to their own. Is it money? I, I can't see. I admire him for first and foremost going to represent his country and surrendering the belts, or not surrendering the belts. They were. Uh, I don't know, he didn't surrender them, he didn't relinquish them, did they? Mm -hmm. So he's still the champion. So I admired him for that. Um, but to then, whilst the war is still on, to suddenly, I'm going to go and fight. Um, it plays a big part, in my opinion, what the outcome will be of this fight. So from Don's perspective, we've got a middle victory, a middle round victory for AJ, mm -hmm. and a late stoppage, potentially, for Fury. You've heard it here, seconds out. Thanks, Don. It's only my opinion. That's all we asked for. Thank you. Thanks. A lot of people seem to be focusing on Dylan White's lawyer, calling him an idiot, saying he's unprofessional and that he shouldn't have advised his client to sign a contract he weren't happy with and so on. Well, unless there's some vital information I'm not privy to here, then these people seem to be completely missing the point. When the WBC first ordered this fight, Dylan White's team had one month of open negotiations with Team Fury, during which time they were trying to get the deal they wanted. But the two sides were unable to reach an agreement, so the fight went to purse bids and Team Fury won. At that point, the WBC standard bout agreement kicks in. This is a contract which isn't drawn up by Team Fury or Team White. This is a contract drawn up by the WBC. But White weren't happy with this contract because, among other things, it only entitles him to a 20% purse split when interim champions are normally entitled to up to 45%. So his legal team have been battling with the WBC to try and get that amended. In addition to that, they've been trying to get certain assurances from Team Fury, such as cash in escrow, because they're concerned about not being paid 
in light of Bricktop's reputation, the financial state of his business, and the enormous size of the purse. But these assurances were not forthcoming. So White's team delayed signing the contract and were basically threatening to pull out of the fight unless they got what they wanted. But Team Fury wouldn't budge. White didn't have enough leverage over them to make them budge. So they called his bluff and he ended up signing right at the last minute. So when Bricktop is asking Dylan White's lawyer why he told his client to sign a contract he weren't happy with, inferring that it was bad advice, it's a ridiculous question. It's a question designed to bamboozle the audience and the presenters, which he seems to have done successfully. Because the reality is, if Dylan White hadn't signed that contract, he'd have lost his position as mandatory challenger and Fury would have moved on to fight someone else. So what, are you saying that Dylan White's lawyer should have told him to walk away and not take the fight? It's completely ridiculous. As far as I can tell, White's lawyer has done all he can from the very start to get his client the best deal possible. But the limitations of the WBC bout agreement have left him trying to negotiate with Team Fury when they don't really have much leverage over them. Team Fury have refused to give Dylan White any pay-per-view upside. They've refused to give him cash in escrow. They've refused to give him any more than a handful of tickets. Tyson Fury has allegedly been given 10,000 tickets, but White's only been given five or six tickets, which is crazy. Team Fury say that they're not contractually obligated to give him any more than that. So White said, okay, two can play at that game. If you're not going to do anything outside of what you're contractually obligated to, then neither am I. Therefore, I'm not going to turn up to the press conferences. I'm not going to publicize the fight on social media. And furthermore, I'm not going to let you use my image on fight posters without my permission. He's simply responding in kind to what Team Fury are doing. Now, Bricktop says that Dylan White is contractually obligated to make a reasonable effort to promote the fight, but White's lawyer says that the contract doesn't give an explicit definition of what constitutes a reasonable effort, quote unquote. So perhaps they believe that all White needs to do to fulfill that obligation is turn up on fight week. After all, he doesn't want to risk testing positive for anything, right? That seems to be what their argument is. Bricktop says that he's never seen anything like this before and he's acting all outraged. But in reality, Tyson Fury didn't turn up to the press conference for the Klitschko rematch. So Bricktop must have a very short memory. Furthermore, when have you ever heard of a mandatory challenger only being given six tickets for a fight in front of 100,000 people? I mean, that is absurd. Bricktop also said that he's not obliged to set up an escrow account and that that is White's lawyer's responsibility. Well, I don't know all the ins and outs of escrow in this situation as far as legalities, but I would have thought that if White's lawyer sets up an escrow account, unless there's a contract in place that says Team Fury need to put money in it, then setting up the escrow is pointless. There needs to be a written agreement in place first. I think the reason that Dylan White's lawyer has gone public with all this is because he's trying to find some extra leverage from somewhere. Maybe try and get the public on his side, but that seems to have backfired by the looks of it because the public can't seem to see through Bricktop's BS. You see, this is why live debates or arguments aren't necessarily the best way of getting to the bottom of an issue because arguing is a skill. Some people are more aggressive and better at thinking on their feet than other people and they're able to use this to get the audience to focus on straw man arguments. It doesn't mean that they're right. 
They're just better at bamboozling the audience into thinking that they're right. And as far as I can tell, that's exactly what Bricktop did in that argument with Dylan White's lawyer on TalkSport. All he did was come in hurling insults and constructing straw men. This idea that the lawyer gave Dylan bad advice by telling him to sign a contract he weren't happy with is absurd. What else should he have advised Dylan White to do? Walk away from the fight? Would that have been good advice? It's completely ridiculous. But again, the public fall for this kind of stuff. Some people say that all these pre-fight issues are just mind games by Dylan White. Even Eddie Hearn has tried to infer that at times. But I think that's all just PR and spin from Hearn trying to massage White's ego and stay in his good books. I think that Bricktop and Team Fury are actually doing everything in their power to upset Dylan White, trying to make him feel violated and disrespected so he gets wound up and it negatively impacts on his performance. I think that's what's really going on, in my opinion anyway. I mean, why else would you allocate so few tickets to someone? You're not going to do that unless you're trying to wind him up. Now, as I said earlier, if there's some vital information that I'm not privy to, which subsequently comes to my attention and necessitates that I amend what I've just said, then I'll do so in a future video. But as it stands right now, based upon the information I'm aware of, it appears as though Bricktop is trying to gaslight Dylan White and gaslight the public, claiming that he's completely innocent and that he's being totally fair and more than generous and that all the blame lies exclusively with Dylan White and his lawyer. Meanwhile, he continues to turn the screw behind the scenes. It's really very twisted behavior, but that's what this guy's like in my experience. <laughs> He's a very twisted individual. So that's my take. I feel like I had to add some clarity there because a lot of people seem unable to see through what Bricktop was saying during that argument. So let me know what you guys think in the comments. If you're tired of the biased narratives and mass censorship on mainstream platforms, and you want to be part of a community of critical thinkers who love free speech just as much as you do, then come and join me on Patreon and access my weekly no-holds-barred censorship-free podcast where we lift the lid on a wide variety of controversial topics. It's not mainstream friendly. It's not politically correct. But that's the whole point. We dare to stand as a beacon of reason against an army of insanity. Just head on over to my Patreon page and select the tier called Hatman Hot Topics. You'll gain access to a minimum of two hours of exclusive content every single week, including podcasts, videos, interviews, live stream Q&As, as well as my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. Not to mention a vast back catalog of hundreds of hours of previous episodes. You can listen via the Patreon app with the option to download in high quality MP3. We've also got an element group where you can come and chat and hang out with myself and other members. Unlike Discord, it has full end-to-end -end encryption, is decentralized, and is 100% censorship-free. You can also send voice notes as well as much larger audio and video files than you can on Discord. So come and sign up on Patreon. There's no contract. There's no commitment. You can cancel at any time, and it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. So I'll see you over there. I'm out.